This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Question for us. Do we delight in God's delight? Do you delight in God's delight? Or do you find joy in what brings joy to God? As we continue our series, The Measure of Maturity, reflecting on this question is essential to gauge our spiritual maturity. We desire spiritual maturity. It sounds good. But to pursue spiritual maturity, we must truly practice the blueprint of spiritual maturity by looking at and weighing it against the great commandment, love God and love one another. What Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you. What's the commandment? That you love another. How should I do that? Well, just as I loved you, you are also to love one another. And what's the result? By all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In order for a healthy pursuit of maturity, we need a healthy supply of nourishment. A baby cannot physically mature into an adult without sufficient nourishment. Hot Cheetos is not going to cut it. A seed cannot grow into a mature plant to produce fruit without sufficient nourishment. And so in order for us to pursue a uh, spiritual maturity, we need a healthy supply of nourishment. As followers of Jesus, our maturity can only progressively grow through exercising the great commandment, but also acknowledging and remembering the source of nourishment. The source of nourishment gives us strength. It allows us to exercise the great commandment. Because when you abide in Jesus, he doesn't just provide that nourishment, he is that nourishment. Jesus is that nourishment. And so this morning, we'll look at Ephesians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 16 in the sermon we're calling Loving One Another. Loving One Another. And we see three ways that God provides nourishment to his church, to every one of us, as we love God and love one another. The first way is this, nourishment by grace. Nourishment by grace. Where Paul shifts the focus from oneness among all, verses 5 and 6, to an individuality among all. Right? Grace was given to each. Grace was given to each one of us as Christ apportioned it in relation to gifts. Right? I'm not saying that God's grace looks different in our salvation. What I'm saying is out of the generosity of Christ, he equips each of us in differing degrees of grace that enables us to use our gifts to the church. Romans 12, 6 speaks of this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them. Reading it backwards, let's use them, the gifts. How were the gifts given? By grace, according to his grace. And what does that manifest into? Different gifts. And this is important. It is the source of grace that determines the gift. 
It is the source of grace that determines the gift, and that gift is used to be served. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, but it is a gift of God. By God's saving grace, which saves sinners like you and me, is given to all who believe it's a gift. What I like to call God's equipping grace, God's equipping grace, which equips sinners like you and me, is given so we be equipped to serve his church uniquely. This is also a gift of God. Right, here's a, a take on gifts. We like to receive gifts, don't we? Right, very controversial. If all of us here were given something from a, a very generous gift giver, right? You, you get a small box. You guys get a medium box. Brian, your box is outside. It's too big. Jeannie, your box is downstairs. It's too heavy. Josh, you get an envelope. We know what's in the envelope. Amazon gift card, right? You got... Okay, we, all of us, we have a gift. I think our initial response would be like, thank you. And I think our immediate next response would be asking the person next to you, what'd you get? Right? We're so quick to be pulled towards what others have been given compared to us. And then we make a judgment on what they deserve or what we deserve, and we start ranking gifts. And what are good ones? And what are bad ones? And all of a sudden, our gratefulness turns into discontentment and envy. But we make it about the thing. We make it about the gift, which is really a symptom of making it about us. The focus goes, for, goes from what has been given to me to what was given to others. When the focus should have always been who gave it to me. Focus should be who gave it to me. And when I receive something from my son, Caden, if it's a card or a coloring page or um, a chip off the ground that he gives to me and wants me to eat, I eat it. I eat it every time. It means so much because of who gave it to me. Man, the, the cards that I get from the kids downstairs, man, I keep them because of who has given it to me. And they barely count as cards. Some of them are just folded paper. <laughs> There's nothing on some of them. <laughs> but it's in my office because who gave it to me? Who is what is the most important? We've each been given grace, equaling a diversity of talents, a diversity of service, a diversity of gifts by the source of grace, Jesus himself. He has given us this. And he's granted this diversity to the church for the nourishment of the church so that we can mature as a body as we use it to love one another. In verse 8 to 10, Paul points to the source by using Psalm 68, specifically verse 18, right? And Psalm 68, in its context, it's a, it's a hymn, it's poetry about God's provision and the Israelites in the midst of the wilderness. 
And though the image of a, a group of people lost for generation in the wilderness highlights the depravity of humanity, Psalm 68 shows us that God's presence was present and how he was marching his people at his pace under his sovereignty to his destination. And in the imagery of Psalm 68, 18, God is the true holy king who was ascended to his throne after defeating his enemies while leading those who were in bondage into freedom. And because of the victory, the spoils of war, the, the, typically the, 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 the uh, rewards or the gains or the benefits, they were given to the victor. And so we see the symbolic gesture of God, the true king, receiving the gifts from those who were conquered. But notice that Paul uses this verse and adds a Christological interpretation. But he wasn't changing the original verse. He was using it. He was inspired by it. And Paul uses this imagery, applying it to the incarnation ascension of Christ. But the fact that he ascended implied that he descended to the lower regions. Another way of saying that he came to earth. He came to earth in humility submitted to the Father's will, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, willingly going to the cross to pay the penalty we can never afford. But then when he rose and ascended on high, far above the heavens, his exaltation now fills the entire universe. It has changed all things and fills all things as a conquering king in victory. And our king, Paul says, doesn't just rightfully receive, but graciously gives, lavishes his grace. So why does this matter? It matters because in order for us to grow into maturity, we must recognize that Christ has gifted individually to each one of us. You count, you're valued, you're needed. You're a part of the body of Christ. He has given you something. We must also recognize that Christ has sovereignly distributed his gifts. They're not the same. When I say they're not the same, I mean they're not the same. I'm not saying less are important, more important. I'm just saying they're not the same. And that's okay. They're diverse, just like us. We must also recognize that Christ has uniquely equipped us to serve. The gift that we all receive, the hypothetical gift that we all have, the gift is not even for you. The gift is not about you. It's to be used for one another. So we want us to ask ourselves, in what ways have we made the gift about ourselves? Or in what ways have we diminished the grace given to each one of us by forgetting who gave it to us? God provides nourishment to the church by his grace. He's given it to us freely. We get to enjoy it and use it for him. God provides nourishment through the saints. That's the second way, through the saints. In verse 11, Paul lists some examples here. And we see a list of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses uh, 4 and onwards, it says this, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And these are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For some, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. To another, working of miracles. Prophecy. To another, various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. He apportions it to each one individually as he wills. We see another list in Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion of our faith if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. See these lists. And the gifts listed across the New Testament total more about 20 of these. And each list is different And therefore, it's not a completed list, right? But the list illustrates specific gifts relevant to the context. And in Ephesians 4, what Paul does here is not list gifts, but people. In the text, we see the gifts given by Christ are the people themselves. It's given the people for the nourishment of the church, for the sake of the maturity. And he lists different types of individuals here, the prophets and the apostles, right, who spoke God's truth, who were foundational gifts to the church. But this would include Paul as, verse 1 says, an apostle of Christ. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. The evangelist equipped to travel proclaiming the good news. And the shepherds or the pastors and the teachers, those entrusted to teach God's word while tending and feeding the flock. And the primary overlap within these groups of people is teaching God's word. For God has appointed people to preach his word to his church, to equip them. But equip them for what? Not to make ourselves feel better, not to obtain knowledge to puff us up, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But through the teaching of God's word, the word equips the saints who do the work of ministry. The saints meaning all those who follow Jesus, all those who have put their faith in Jesus, a faith that is one day old, or faith that is 40 years old. The work of ministry belongs to the saints. It is responsibility of the saints for the work of ministry. 
right? Not just a selective few leaders of the church, but the people of the church. A common question that I get asked is like, hey, when did you step into ministry, Robin? Now, I understand the question behind the question, like what, what the person might be asking, like when did you step into vocation ministry? And the answer is, uh, I don't remember. That's the true answer. <laughs> but the question in itself, when did you step into ministry? I, I think our answers are essentially the same. The day when we have decided to follow Jesus. The day when you have decided to follow Jesus in response to his love and his call is work day number one of ministry. Put it on your resume when you get home. Work day number one of ministry is when Jesus has called you to follow him. The work days are difficult. The work days are long. The work days are messy. But they're worth it. Every day. But the benefits, great benefits. But what is the work of the ministry? What is it? What are we supposed to be doing? The work of ministry is joining and emulating Jesus as humble servants serving one another in love. That's our work. Every day. And Jesus modeled this with his life. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That was the aim of his ministry, to serve. And so it should be ours as well. This week, our, uh, our building was baptized, <laughs> meaning we had water issues. Water was uh, seeping through the joints between our roof and the wall. And uh, we had water drainage issues uh, in the dining room. Uh, we moved all of these chairs out of the way. We had some dehumidifiers that are in the back over here. We had fans blowing. The floor was so wet here from the roof that it was dripping into the elementary room. That's how wet it was. Roof fund is still open. You can give through the app. <laughs> I had to. I had to. But our building was facing functional issues. Our gutters, our roofs, our drains, they weren't functionally working. And it resulted in a consequence. When a few leaders try to do the work of ministry, the church doesn't function properly. But when the members of the body respond to the call of this work, joining and emulating Jesus to one another, the result is the building up of the body or a strengthening or a nourishment of one another that leads to spiritual maturity. Growing in our spiritual maturity, it's an individual work. You've got to show up. But it's also a collective work. And that progresses our unity in Christ, our knowledge in Christ, and in our character of Christ. When we pursue this, it leads to our stability on solid ground, but not circumstantial ground. 
though spiritual immaturity, though, is like being tossed around by the waves, leads you away from the truth and the character of Jesus. It leads to ignorance, to deception. But those who pursue spiritual maturity, we find contentment and joy in the person of Jesus. Where he came to us to model this work. He did not come to be served, but to serve. But this is our model and call as saints. And when we do this as a church, the, the church is nourished by the saints. God provides nourishment by grace, through saints, and in love, and in love. The, the church grows in depth through truth and love. How do we grow in our spiritual maturity as a church? By loving the church. But when we hear love the church, or when I say love redemption, you might have an image that pops up. It might be our building. It might be uh, our ministries that we have. It might be our staff. Those, these things are a part of redemption. That's not the right image. Because what I desire for us when we think about redemption, and we're called to love our church, love redemption, I want us to not be thinking of a concept or, or an event or a pastor. I want us to be thinking about the person to the right of us, the person on the left of us, behind us, in front of us, a floor level under us. I want us to be thinking of our collective, beautiful, diverse faces. Because the call to love one another is what that image entails, the people of the church. The call is to love one another. Where the pulse of a church is determined by the love of the church. But love defined by God in his word, not by culture, not totally by feelings. Yes, they're involved, but God defines love. He gets to define it. And this, this love that I'm telling you guys to, 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 to do and to feel is not to just to be directed in the air. Right? Love is in the air. We've, we've, see, we've heard that. No, it's not. Nitrogen and oxygen is in the air. <laughs> Moisture from our leaks. That's what's in the air. But love is exercised and directed amongst each other by putting one another first, by valuing one another over ourselves. And love that is exercised amongst each other can look like a lot of things. It can look like serving on a team, if it's a worship team or Redemption kids downstairs or youth or welcome team. They could be serving in the pantry. They could also be coming to church in the morning. Hey, how can I pray for you? 
It can be being connected to the body through small groups or, or men's breakfast or our Bible studies. It's by coming in, uh, through the, our morning prayer in the lobby at 9.30. It's uh, attending a, a, and serving at Feed My Starving Children next month. Or instead of a, a missional team, maybe you want to serve in a missional way. Like, hey, I, I want to serve in this. Is this possible? Is there a need for that? Or, hey, I, I want to serve. What's the need? How can I help? Share that in your prayer request today. The word also says, speak truth and love. This may be sharing our blind spots in love. Sharing our unhealthy tendencies to one another in love. Correcting in love. Our truth and love. But a practical way for as a church to love one another is by starting to know one another. Because the work of ministry is so relational. It's not a nine-to-five job. And it's because we have a God that is so personally relational. Well, I love that in Redemption Kids, the names of our, uh, names of our kids are mentioned out loud at least once. It shows, us, it shows them that they're seen they're noticed, and they're loved. And I want that for us every Sunday, for our entire church. Where I want every name mentioned every Sunday for those who walk into this building. It's a simple way to notice them, to acknowledge them, and to love them. Because the deep relationships that I've formed throughout the years, most of them started with Hey, I'm Robin. Don't underestimate an introduction. Don't underestimate an invite. Don't underestimate a hello. Let the Spirit, let the spirit figure out where their relationship goes. Um, that's God's business. If it's meeting with them regularly, regularly to pray, meeting with them to go over the word, if it's serving with them on a team, passing out diapers, being in a small group, sharing a burden over the phone when it's needed or in the lobby when it's needed, let the Spirit figure out where that relationship goes, how you can love that person. But be present here. Be genuine here. Be, be prayerful here. Every name, every Sunday. Kind of want to say everybody's name right now, so we, you know, we have a good start, but don't have, don't have enough time. If you're serving and involved here, you're all in. Keep at it. Keep showing up. Keep growing your love for one another. Sometimes we think, man, okay, I've done it. I'm ready for the next thing. Here's the thing of the work of ministry. It doesn't involve promotions. The reward of the work of ministry is the reward is the work itself. 
The work is the reward. We get to do this. He has given us this gift so that we can serve, that we can be like Christ. The reward is the work itself. One translation of uh, verse 15 and 16 says this, we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything that we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. And all-powerful and all-knowing an all-present God who is able to do anything he desires. And what does he desire? To be the head of the church. To be our leader. To be the model of the church. To come down as a humble servant who will never give up, who will never forsake his people. Who died for his church. So what does that reveal about his desire? He simply desires us. He simply loves us so much that he came down to prove it with his life. He loves us so much that he calls us, his church, his bride. So go back to our first question. Do you delight in God's delight? Do you delight in God's delight? Because God delights in his church. He delights in us. He delights in his bride. He wants to be with us. He enjoys us. He loves us. He even likes us. Do you delight in God's delight? Because God delights in the church, in one another. For every one of us here, man, God delights in us, in our imperfection, in our ugliness, in our sinfulness, in our weakness, in our inadequacies. God delights in us. And he calls us to turn back to him over and over and over again to repent of our selfishness, of our sins, of our look at me. And he invites us to look at him. And when we understand God's delight in us, our response is to delight in God's delight, which is his bride, which is his church, which is us, by loving one another. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.